of the congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, why on earth should we even talk about sin and misery? Why did we leave our homes on this beautiful Sunday and bring ourselves to this building to talk about such an unpleasant topic, sin and misery? Why? Well, there's a reason why, and the reason is this. We have something to celebrate. We have been delivered. And the level of celebration and thanksgiving for a deliverance is proportional to the size of the problem from which you have been delivered. So let's imagine, for instance, that a foreign power has invaded Canada and has occupied it for 20 years and has oppressed us for 20 years. And after 20 years of suffering, another power comes in and saves us and liberates us. Imagine the, the celebration, the joy. The intensity of such a celebration will be far greater than if we were celebrating, for instance, that a foreign aircraft entered Canadian airspace for 30 seconds and then left again. We probably wouldn't have such a big celebration for that deliverance because it's such a little thing. And so if we want to celebrate what Christ has done for us, we need to understand very well how bad the problem is that he was solving. We can't be church if we don't talk about sin and misery. A church which does not talk about sin and misery is like a hospital which doesn't talk about disease and illness. Can you imagine that? You've got some kind of a problem. You've broken your arm or your kidneys aren't working properly and you go to the hospital and they say, we don't talk about those kind of things here. We talk about positive things. Everything's fine. Everything's happy. Let's give you some more drugs to make you feel nice. Let's not talk about disease. A hospital that pretends disease away is a hospital which will kill you in the end. Because if you pretend that the disease doesn't exist, you will pretend that you don't need the remedy. And so... A faithful church is a church which preaches the truths of God's holy word about sin and misery. And as we do that in the catechism, we're really following the structure of the scriptures. The catechism follows, in large part, the structure of the book of Romans. The book of Romans goes through those three sections that the catechism uh, follows and imitates. Uh, sin and misery, deliverance, and thankfulness. That's the structure of the catechism. That's the structure of the book of Romans. Sin, salvation, service. Guilt, grace, gratitude. And there's a reason that the scriptures and therefore the catechism follows that order. Because if we want to know if we really want to know how to praise Jesus, how to worship Jesus, if we want to live now and forever as a living sacrifice of thanksgiving to him, we need to know what to thank him for. We need to know what he has done for us. 
How he died to save us. How he has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. If we really want to understand why he had to die, why he had to shed his blood to save me, we need to understand the problem which required that solution. Now, what problem was so terrifyingly horrific that it could only be solved by the death of the Son of God? And that problem is us. It is not something external. It is not something that happens to us. It is not something that we do. The problem is who we are. I am inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. That's the problem. Now, a world full of people who love God and love each other is a picture of heaven. The ruling principle in such a world is the very character of God. God is love. And on the flip side of that, a world full of people who hate God and hate each other is a world which is a picture of hell. And the ruling principle in that world is the very character of the devil. And the Bible has some very sobering news for us. No matter how good we think we are, no matter how good we convince ourselves that we are, by nature, this is who we are. This is what God says about us, Titus chapter 3, verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. That is the diagnosis of the Holy Spirit. That is what God says we are by nature. That is who we are outside of Christ. And we didn't become like that. We didn't learn to be like that. But that is who we are by nature. Nature, Psalm 51, David confesses that, that we are born as sinners, that we are sinners from the moment that we are conceived. Think about that. It's a very basic principle of biology that what is born will be of the same nature as the parents from which it is born. If you have two dogs that are the parents, then the little baby dog will will be obviously a dog. When two sparrows have a baby, they get a little sparrow. And when two sinners have a baby, they get a little sinner. That is the nature of every human being. And we read Ephesians chapter 2. And Ephesians chapter 2 described us as we are outside of Christ, by nature, dead in the trespasses and sins in which we walk, and being, says the apostle in verse 3 of chapter 2, by nature, children of wrath, as the rest of mankind. That's what the entire world is. That's what all humans are, by nature. Dead in sin, children 
of wrath. Now, human beings spend a lot of time trying to convince ourselves that this is not true. We as fallen, sinful human beings outside of Christ, we spend a lot of time trying to convince ourselves that we are good people. And part of the way we do that is that we point at worse people. We say, well, at least I'm not like that. I haven't done as many bad things as that other person. I've done this and I've done that. I've done these good things. And so we, we fool ourselves most of the time. And you know, if you look at other people, you, it's, not too, it's not too hard to find some really rotten people out there that are worse than I am, that worse than, worse than you are. And, and that makes us feel good for a while. And it, and it kind of works. But there's one thing which confronts us and which does not allow us to escape the truth about who we are. And that is when we look into the mirror of God's holy law. And when we look into the mirror of God's holy law, we are undone. And it's just so simple. It's nothing complex. It's so simple. You were created to love, to love God and to love your neighbor, to reflect the very image and character of God. That's all God is asking you to do. That's all God is asking me to do, just to be like him, to love. And we look in the mirror of God's law, and God's law shows us his holiness, and God's law exposes our shame. And his law is so holy and so pure. And his love is so good and so righteous and so high and exalted and sublime. And that when we look at who God is and who he wants us to be, then all of a sudden all those pathetic efforts for us to try and be good people seem so absurdly unacceptable. It's like a little boy a little boy, he gets a white suit for the wedding. He's going to be in the wedding, and he gets a white suit. But just a, an hour before the, the wedding, he goes off playing in the fields, and it's muddy, and he falls into the farmer's sewage lagoon, and he comes out, and he's just covered in dirt and filth. And he, he, wipe, he goes home, and he wipes himself off with a towel. And every now and again, he sees a streak of what used to be white underneath all the dirt. He thinks, I'm getting there. I, I'm looking better. I, I, maybe mom won't notice and then all of a sudden, he, he stands in front of the mirror with his little buddy who's also in the wedding party who's got a perfectly white suit. And he looks in the mirror, he's like, yeah, I'm not going to get away with this. There's nothing that I can do to fix this problem. I can't make it better. I can't clean myself off. I need another suit of clothes. And that's what the law does to us. If you look at Romans chapter 3, that's the Romans' beginning, of course, with the sin and misery as it, as it follows that dynamic sin, salvation, and service. And in Romans chapter 3, the apostle describes that we are all lost and that there is no one that does good. And there in Romans chapter 3, verse 19, the, the apostle says, you know, when we finally figure that out, we, all we can do is put our hand on our mouth because the whole world is held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The apostle saying this, 
You know, you, you see the problem. You see that sin is, is a problem, and, and you try to fix it by doing good things, and you think you might get somewhere. But when you look into the law of God, you're like, yeah, that's not going to work. I can't fix it. I need something far more powerful than I am able to produce myself. You see, the law of God is like an MRI or an, an X-ray. It exposes the problem. It, it exposes the horror and the hopelessness of our condition. It shows us who we are by nature. And if you think of the definition or the description, rather, of love that the apostle uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you remember that description, that love is, is patient and kind. It does not envy and boast. Well, the law tells us that that is not who we are. The law tells us you are not like God. You don't love God and you don't love your neighbor. You love yourself. You are not patient and kind. You envy and boast. You are arrogant and rude. You insist on your own way. You are irritable and resentful. You do not rejoice with the truth, but you rejoice at wrongdoing. And so the law exposes that that is who we are as human beings by nature. And that is such a good thing to know. Because when we know how bad the problem is, then we know what kind of solution we need. We know that this is not a solution which requires a Band-Aid. This is not a solution which can be dealt with by Tylenol or physiotherapy. We need a miracle. We need a radical change in our nature. We need a power that can bring us from death to life. We need some remedy which gets rid of our old nature and gives us a new one. We need to find a solution that is powerful enough to deal with the problem. And exactly because we know how bad the problem is, we are able to rejoice and give God the glory for providing a solution. By nature, I hate God and my neighbor, by nature, that's who I am. But I am not my own. I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I am in Christ. I am a new creation. I have a new heart. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The love of God has been poured into my heart. That's the gospel. This hateful person that I am. I hate God, I hate my neighbor by nature, but Jesus has done something to change that. You see, by nature, Ephesians chapter 2, I was dead in my trespasses and in the sins in which I once walked. I used to follow the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience. I used to live in the passions of my flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. I used to be a child of wrath by nature like the rest of mankind, and there was nothing I could do to change that. But then look at verse 4 of Ephesians 2. Look at verse 4 of Ephesians 2. But God, 
This is all who I am by nature. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when I was dead in my trespasses, he made me alive together with Christ. By grace I have been saved. And he raised me up with him, and he seated me in the heavenly places with him in Christ Jesus. And so when we hear the law, we look at that spiritual x-ray, and we say, yes, that totally condemns everything I am by nature. Outside of Christ, I am lost. And the, the longer I live, and the more I learn about my sin and who I am by nature, the more I realize how lost I am without Jesus. But I am not my own. I belong body and soul, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I have a new nature. I am in Christ. You see, the law exposes what I am by nature. By the law, I know what I am. But by the gospel, I know that I am not that anymore. And so do you want to praise the Lord Jesus more? And do you want to experience the comfort of the gospel ever more deeply? And do you want your worship to lift up the name of Jesus higher and higher and higher? Then, Christian, take time to study who you are by nature. Take time to really plumb the depth of your sin and misery. Take time to meditate on your unworthiness. Take the time. Because the more we understand the depth of our sin and the horror of our condition apart from Christ, the more we will understand how glorious it is that he has loved us, even us, that he died for us, that he washed us clean, that he's forgiven us, that he's made us righteous and holy, that he's brought us back into fellowship with God, that he has given us free entrance into heaven itself. You see, that's, that's the structure of the book of Romans, and that is the structure of the Sunday liturgy every Sunday. Again, you notice that. What's one of the first things we do when we come together on the Lord's Day to meet with the Lord? One of the first things in the service is the law. Because we're going through that, that dynamic of the book of Romans. And we come to God's presence and we're happy to be there. And we're singing his praises because he is worthy to be praised. And then God's saying, well, take a look at who you are by nature. And it sobers us. And we look back on the week past and we think, yeah. If it depended on my merits and my worth, I couldn't step foot into God's presence. I would be running the other way like Adam in the garden. But thanks be to God that the more I understand the depth of my unworthiness, the more I understand the height of God's love towards me in Christ Jesus, my Lord. And so if we want to worship God, we need to reflect on that dynamic, as we do in the liturgy every Sunday. And do you want other sinners to come and praise the Lord Jesus? Well, then you need to take time to begin at the beginning. Someone who is outside of Christ, someone who doesn't believe, will never be driven to seek the Lord Jesus if they don't come, first of all, to understand that they need him. And if they 
are to understand that they need him, they need to know who they are by nature outside of Christ. And so take time to study that with them. When they understand their sin and misery, they will be driven to seek the Lord Jesus Christ, to desire Christ, to want to know Christ, to be found in Christ, and to have the love of Christ poured into their hearts so that they can pray together with us, O oh Lord Jesus, you have bought us with your precious blood. You have changed who we are. You have lifted us out of hatred and brought us into your love. We come, O oh Christ, to you the Son of God and man, by whom all things consist, in whom all life began. In you alone we live and move and have our being in your love. You are the way to God. Your blood our ransom paid. In you we face our judge and maker unafraid. Before the throne absolved we stand. Your love has met your laws demand. Amen.